0: there's three types of people when it comes to sports. There's whippers, there's strokers, and there's people you leave alone.
1: Welcome to the Start Anywhere podcast you're in the right place if you want to hear inspiring stories and get fired up to live life to the fullest. I'm Crystal Garrett, broadcaster turned podcaster, former national team runner and serial goal getter. Every week you'll hear fascinating stories from people all over the world. Every single person you'll meet once started anywhere and eventually made their dreams come true. The aim of this podcast is to entertain you, but hopefully inspire you. Whether you're after a small goal or a big dream, the best place to start is wherever you are right now. So let's go. Let's do this. Let's start anywhere. Reese Trenhill is on a first-name basis with actor Kiefer Sutherland. Reese himself is an actor, and he's also a real estate mogul who owns his own multi-million dollar business. What's more, Reese is happily married with a little one-year-old son, and he's figured out how to shave his work week in half so he can spend more time with his family making memories. Reese does lead an extraordinarily successful life, but he's actually an ordinary guy. I met him when we were on the track team together at the University of Windsor. We had the same coach, Dennis Farrell, whose name has come up again and again on this podcast, because he really is one of those people who gave freely of himself to better the lives of others. And as you may recall from last episode's conversation with Olympian Melissa Bishop, Dennis was an incredible coach who took the time to get to understand each one of his athletes on a personal level, much like a father figure at the head of a very big family. His ways brought out the best in people and connected people, which is especially challenging in a sport like track and field, where you literally have dozens of individual athletes scattered around doing dozens of individual events. Dennis unfortunately passed away in 2020, but his memory lives on, and while this is the very last episode where my guest and I reflect on Dennis for part of our chat, I can't guarantee that his name won't come up again from time to time on the podcast in the future. A friend of mine, Tanya, whom I met on that Lancer track team, told me that Reese spoke to her high school drama class and was incredibly inspiring. So I reached out to Reese and told him about the podcast, and I'm so happy he was able to make some time for a conversation. He's a man who truly lives life very fully, and he has found fame, fortune, and freedom by staying curious and tapping into the many lessons he learned from Coach Dennis back when he was a middle distance runner in university. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Reese is a good storyteller, and he does not hold back.
0: Uh, what I did was I punched my I punched my first uh, line and a half, so I set it with a lot of force, and it made Kiefer snap around okay. 180 degrees, because I gave him a reason to turn back. I knew he needed a reason. I gave him a reason, and he was in a pissy mood, by the way, and... Uh, we did a couple of practice takes. After the second practice take, he stayed next to me, and uh, I'll take the swear words out. But uh, he goes, you're doing great.
1: You became an actor at age 34, and I know your career in that department's on the rise. And Kiefer Sutherland is a big fan of yours. We're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> and you own a multimillion-dollar real estate company. Am I right there? Yep. Yep. And you take eight to ten weeks vacation a year if you want to.
0: When so, there's no pandemic.
1: When there's no pandemic. So that's yeah. all true. Yeah. And I know you're married to an incredible woman and your son just turned one yesterday. So congratulations. Yes. So, and I've known you for years and we had the same track coach back in the day. So I want we to did. start there. Let's chat about Dennis for a second because I know we both owe him so much. How did Dennis help bring out the best in you?
0: I always struggle with calling Dennis, um, you know, like the 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 second father, you know, Certainly a mentor. The reason I don't call him a a second father is um, there was also a very strong friendship uh, above the mentorship. And um, uh, Dennis was one of those unique individuals that, from a coaching perspective, understood humanity. So um, I learned from him that there's three types of people when it comes to sports. There's whippers, there's strokers, and there's people you leave alone. And when you're running a real estate team or you're running a, a um, you know, like a corporate business, which I'm increasingly doing, that is some powerful lessons learned on how to handle people. You know, you can't treat them all the same. So, I mean, I've got a sales guy that you keep pretty loose parameters on because he's self-motivated and he's just going to go crazy and do what he needs to do. And he came from the banking industry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he hated the restrictions and the quotas of the banking industry. That's why he left. Well, I'm not gonna whip that guy, right? Mm. I'm gonna leave him alone. He's just gonna do. It. I don't even set annual goals on him. I just let him go.
1: And a stroker would be someone you have to keep constantly validating with compliments. You're great,
0: little Johnny. You're yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. 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 So some people, some people need that simply uh, that that reassurance that they are good. You know, they, they might be, uh, you know, confidence issues or what have you, or uh, challenges with with resilience. You know, when something goes bad or somebody tells you you suck. Yeah. You know, you got to be there to pick them back up and say, "Don't listen to those guys. You're the best. You walk on the water. This is why." You know, and you're truthful and sincere, but you got to treat them a different way.
1: So, who who would you say you were of those three people for Dennis?
0: So, um, Donnie Garrett, one of his uh, coaches, coached uh, coached an Olympian recently in the hurdles. Uh, Donnie spoke at Dennis's eulogy and. Uh, I was told afterwards you got to watch it. You're, you were mentioned in the eulogy, and it was Donnie talking about whippers, strokers, and people you leave alone. And he threw in there, and there was no there was no one that got whipped more than Reese Trenham. <laughs> <laughs> that was during the eulogy. Yeah. <laughs> to answer your question,
1: there you go. You'll there was a great
0: her. great example of how Dennis understood personalities. Was uh, four by eight hundred meter uh, provincial finals. We ended up winning nationals in the four by eight, but we actually finished second at provincials to Guelph. And the reason we did, and I'm not throwing my, my teammates under the bus, but three of them ran like crap for whatever reasons. I'm not going to say any names. I was the only one that actually like, you know, performed above my ability in a, in a, in a big race, which is typically, I used, to, I used to race bigger in the bigger races. And so I had a great leg we still lost because the other three guys just shit the bed. Can I say that on your podcast? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yep. <laughs> you and in did. front of,
0: <laughs> I just did. You can you can hit the mute button, right? And in front of you know two thousand fans, Dennis runs over and just starts just yelling at me like, yeah, right? you know, like just just going like hard. And of course, there's people in the audience going. I thought you you reached really well. I thought it was the other guys. Like, why is he yelling at you? And I know why he's yelling at me. I'm the only one he could yell at out of those four guys because okay. I'm the I'm the whipper, and it was three ego strokers. Yeah. And, yeah, But but he also knew that I would get really angry for day two, and of course I ran I ran out of my my tree the next day because so I was angry, and I finished second in OUs in the 1500 meters behind Drew McCully. We went one two. And we beat all these guys that were supposed to beat us. It was absolutely jam-packed with talent that year. And we finished 1-2. And Dennis comes running over with that toothy grin of his. And he goes, see, Mac Truck? See why I yelled at you yesterday? And I'm like, I know. And I've been doing this for five years with you. I know. And he still, get, he still was able to get you.
1: Yeah, no, he, and, and that's why he's come up a few times on this podcast, because he was that person in our lives who really saw us, recognized who we were, he, yeah. he got to know each of us as we were and brought up the best in us. And so many people, yeah. it's that person in their life that really lit them up and gave them the tools they needed to sort of be the person they are today. Like, you've taken that, obviously, and we're going to talk about it, about yeah. how you've turned that... all those teachings he gave you and that trust he built with you to be able to whip you. And, you know, and you've taken that and you've literally run with it, but you've also brought that into your, into your life in so many ways to bring you success. So on top of
0: all that, he nurtured our entrepreneurialism. Yeah. As a track and field coach, it's really not supposed to happen, but he recognized that a few of us were sort of business oriented and, um, when we won the national – the first men's cross-country title in the history of the university uh, was in 1998. And um, by that point, the seven guys on that team owned seven student rental properties and the arse end of a couple of uh, horses at the at the local racetrack. And a, a lot of – like, I mean, the horses – I mean, Dennis was the uh, – was the horse horseman of the year in ontario 2004 yeah i mean he was really good at at breeding and and training horses as well and um anyway so we got into that with him and we owned income properties and i said to the guys when we were toasting the victory i said boys i don't know for the most talented team in uh in the country's history but we're sure as hell the most entrepreneurial (laughs)
1: Well, there's so much to unpack there. Yes, Dennis was a very, very successful man in coaching, but yes, he, had, he was multi-passionate. He had racehorses, harness racing horses, and he was yeah. very successful in in that in a business perspective as, as well in that. And so let's just dig into a little bit of a second. How bizarre that a bunch of guys in the university where most kids are eating craft dinner and um, going <laughs> to bed, yeah. you, you had income properties. How did that happen?
0: Uh, Jeremy Carbonero. Uh, one of our teammates, his dad, Tony, owned student rental properties. And Jeremy shows up uh, for a long run the one day, and he says, yeah, I just bought a student rental property. And, of course, we're all running for 10 miles at a time. You talk about everything. And so we talk about we, – we started burling, you know, Jeremy on this student rental thing, and we understood sort of he was making a cash flow and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And uh, myself and one of my best friends of this day, Kevin O'Connor, we bought uh, we bought a student rental property together. And uh, it was pretty funny because both our dads had to co-sign the mortgage.
1: I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit because I think that much like it's interesting, I'm just cluing in now that Dennis Farrell's multi-passionate ways owning racehorses and being a very successful coach. And he went on to do his master's in goal setting, I know, as well. Just a fascinating man and could not be more generous. Um you're kind of like him in a way because you are also extremely multi-passionate and successful in, in different fields. And I'm going to bring up acting. You have been a successful professional actor. How did that come about?
0: (laughs) I got too old for sports. (laughs) After uh, the track and field years, I went back to soccer and, um, I'd fill in for like the local semi pro team, you know, when they had a shortage of players and stuff. I had a lot of fun getting back to the, the soccer days. And, um, I hit 35. I hit 35 and I realized or 34 maybe. Anyway, I I had this stark realization all of a sudden that I could train as hard as I wanted to, but each successive year from now on I would get progressively worse. Mm. And that's no longer a challenge. Right? The the, the 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 what what sort of inspires me to do what I do and get out of bed is to be better at is curiosity number one, and getting better at something within that curiosity. And so that was gone. Sports was kind of over for me at that point. And um, um, I had this void. I knew I wasn't quite happy just doing real estate sales at the time. And um, um, I was quietly writing screenplay. Uh, Barely anybody knew. I started doing it right after law school. For whatever reasons, I think in terms of screenplay, I think in terms of movie scenes. So I started writing these things down on scrap pieces of paper. I learned how to to structure a hero's journey, et cetera. Um, so commercial grade stuff. And, um, anyway, I ended up uh doing really well in one of the big international screenplay competitions. And, um, that led to me trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I market this then? And I had one friend in Toronto on the acting scene from Windsor originally. And, uh, um, um, Marcel Jones and uh, in Marcel's own language, dog, you got straight teeth, you need to get in front of a camera and when you're around those producers and directors, now you can sell your script. Um, it, it turns out that's not the way it's typically done, but it it was this acting thing that was now in my, my brain and the same week one of my close friends confides in me he's always wanted to be an actor. Same week, two of my closest friends. And I was like, okay, Well, why don't I help Jay get into a class? We live right next to Detroit, right? So Mm -hmm. why don't we go to one of the best acting schools in Detroit? So with the internet, that's kind of easy to figure out. And and we went, had a lot of fun, and then Jay disappears. And now the the coaches are calling me saying, hey, look, we, we really enjoyed you guys coming. Are you coming back? I go, I don't even know where Jay is. I was doing this for Jay. Yeah. Well, you should really come back. And this is, again, where it comes back to the old track and field days. Right. I learned being with, with the Windsor Lancers on the track and field team that if you're on the fence about doing something or not doing something, you should probably just do it. Mm. I learned that from sport. I specifically learned that from my, my Lancer days on the track and field team with Coach Farrell. And so I went. I went to the second acting class, and I'm driving there into Royal Oak, Michigan, going, like, what am I doing right now? Like, this is for Jay, right? And uh, at the end of the class, they're like, look, uh, we're doing a theater production right now in downtown Detroit. And by the way, for the, the listeners at home, Detroit has the second largest theater district in North America behind New York. It is huge, the scene, and it is very vibrant. I, I, I've i literally only done two plays in downtown Detroit, and we were in a 250-person movie theater down there right across from uh, the Opera House. Okay. And uh, the Detroit Free Press, their critic loved it after the first day. So for the next four days of doing this thing, we were jam- like, we were jammed. We ended up having to do two shows a day on the last day, like just to take advantage. It was crazy. They were standing up in the aisles Great. to watch the show. It's crazy. So um, that was my first sort of foray into acting was, was my brief, brief, brief moment in stage. And then, um then from there um you know again my curiosity carries me okay how do you how do you get in front of the camera which is what i want to do i let, i you know want to be doing tv and film because i always thought in tv film when i was writing and um that led to me driving up to toronto uh which is a four-hour drive i get out of my car i do a two-minute audition and if I didn't book any other meetings for business, I'd hop back in my car and I'd drive home 400 kilometers. And um, again, it's that athletic sort of discipline to do that. So, and there was a couple times where I drove up, got out of my car, completely screwed up the audition, hop back in my car, and you got to think about it for four hours oh, home. Yeah. <laughs> let's, right.
1: Let's. Bring in uh, Kiefer Sutherland. How does he fit into, into this uh, story?
0: <laughs> well, I see. So, I mean, one of the auditions actually it was a self tape at home. This is actually a true story. It was self tape at home in uh, my, at the time I lived in a condo, in my condo kitchen. And the guy reading the lines to me behind the uh, camera was my contractor who was a big ball of sweat at the time from working. <laughs> and, and I got hired on Designated Survivor off of that audition. Wow. And I was supposed to be what's called a day player. So you come in, you say your, you know, your six to ten lines, and you go home. You know, you do several takes from several angles, and you go home. And, um, yeah, how that led to some some major praise from Kiefer was um, he decided to – I was playing sort of the highest-ranking Army officer in the war room. And the show at the beginning, if you think back, the first five or six – Episodes of the show dealt with international crises. So I was a Harbinger. Harbinger? Harbinger? Harbinger. Harbinger. I was the Harbinger character. So basically I would let the main characters know how they're screwed this week. (laughs) Then they take the rest of the episode to save the day, right, figure it out. So Kiefer hasn't come out yet, and, and we've, we weren't wor- worrying about blocking yet because Kiefer would ultimately block because he was he had a he had a bigger role than just being the main character. I mean, he was an executive producer on the show, and um, quite frankly, I watched off scene, you know, like he was one of the two guys running the show. And um, at any rate, um, so it was actually my first time on a on a big American set. I'd always done like on location and, and that sort of thing. But this was like, you know, this is a, it, I was actually doing real estate deals in my military uniform <laughs> in the Oval office, sort of guy in the Oval office. And one of the other main uh, actors uh, comes walking in and he sees me on the phone doing, doing a real estate deal. And he just starts dying laughing. He thought it was the funniest thing. Yeah. Like oh just be on the phone in the Oval office, getting the real estate deal done with a coffee. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so, um, so yeah, Kiefer, that, the, the, the main thing you have to realize if you're not one of the stars is there, you're there to deliver information to the stars so they can shine, right? But the delivery of that information is also important, and that's something that uh, most actor, actors never figure out. So Kiefer has decided to block by starting next to me in the scene and walking towards the big screen where he's watching the sort of the planes uh, that, you know, that are threatening from Algeria. And so now his problem as an actor is he's decided to walk away from the cameras and he's decided to walk away from everybody. Well, he needs a really good reason to come back or turn back to us. And like, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I've really studied the technical side of acting Whereas most actors are always worried about being truthful and blah Yeah, I mean to a point, yeah. But this is TV and film, baby. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole bunch of technical stuff. Are we on a 45 or are we on a 90? Like, you know, what, what, you know, what's going on right now from a technical aspect? And so uh, what I did was I punched my I punched my first uh, line and a half. So I said it with a lot of force, and it made Kiefer snap around okay. 180 degrees. I gave him a reason to turn back. I knew he needed a reason. I gave him a reason. And he was in a pissy mood, by the way. And uh, we did a couple of practice takes. After the second practice take, he stayed next to me. And uh, I'll take the swear words out. But uh, he goes, you're doing great. And uh, I said, you know, oh, thanks, Kiefer. You know, so then we do our thing. And anyway, he now he's in a super bright mood because me and uh, Michael T. Williamson um, – he was playing the Admiral. Michael's, uh, like on Forrest Gump, he's uh, Bubba Shrimp, you know, Shrimp, Shrimp Sandwich, fried bubble Gump. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's Michael T. Williamson. By the way, I got married to my wife because of Michael T. Williamson.
1: Whoa, that's another say, story for another yes. day.
0: Yes. Yeah. So um, so anyway, it, Michael was hitting his lines. I was hitting my lines. One of the stars was not. And it, it, the Kiefer just called out me and Michael, like, just like, you know, You know, blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, oh, that's great. And I I said out loud in front of everybody, I said, Kiefer, I'm going to tell my mom you said that, but I'm going to take the F word out. And the whole place started dying laughing. So it changed the mood, right? And, again, that's part of understanding team. Yeah. And um, anyway, so I was on vacation then in Costa Rica, and I got the call that uh, they want me back. And so um, I got to do three episodes uh, with them. After the second episode, uh, I got Kiefer a cigar when I was down there to thank him because I was told that he was the reason I got rehired. And that's when he just got up and hugged me and gave me all the reasons why he had to have me back on set. And and what that does for you as an actor is fantastic because there's always haters. Mm -hmm. And it's like you can hate all you want. You ain't Kiefer Sutherland. Right. And so it really creates this wonderful shell of of confidence as you go through the bad times in the industry. Like the pandemic is not being kind to me. Yeah. You know, I'm getting a lot of uh, auditions again. So, I mean, ultimately I'll be acting again. But uh, um, it does actually look like I'll be in a couple of Harlequin uh, uh, rom-coms coming up. So. Okay. In uh, March and April.
1: That's fun. And yeah. one more thing with the acting, too, that I think also demonstrates your resilience and discipline is you, you had little roles, piecemeal roles here and there. But then t- in order to get the lead roles, you kind of had to take a hit. And and that's yeah. interesting. You had to take a step back. Just yeah. explain that. I ended
0: up landing with one of the top talent agents in Canada. I'm still with him. He's an awesome human being. Um, but he did. He warned me. He said, Reese, we're now going to be going for bigger roles. And you have to understand that you're not going to get hired for at least six months why am I not going to get hired? Because the casting directors trust you for the Canadian jobs, which are the smaller jobs mm. to get the bigger jobs. They now have to trust you to audition, not just for one page with six lines, but for five pages, 10 pages. And I was just getting to that point where they trusted me and the pandemic starts. <laughs> and so It it ended up being a a long, long drought. I ended up getting hired to play the head bad guy on a Lifetime TV show, a movie, and that was then destroyed by the second lockdown. And they don't come back later to shoot the same movie because everybody's already booked for, you know, two years in advance. So that's it. It just doesn't get made. It might get made two, three years from now with a different cast and crew and uh yeah it's, so it's 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 being crappy, but I mean, the pandemic's been crappy for a lot of people. you know, I pivoted by focusing heavily on the business side of the industry, so coming out of the pandemic now, I expect to uh be able to create a lot of my own acting roles and in, in in shows of significance and movies of significance, so yeah. I'm playing in a pretty good sandbox, so we'll see where it goes over the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're just beginning, which is which is it's all about trust. So many different things, trusting your oh, own yeah. self to be able to just that, that it's coming. You know, those those opportunities are coming. You just have to keep on making them for yourself, I guess.
0: It, it's confidence and it's resilience, which again it goes back to sports. Yeah. You know, you get you get your confidence from sports, you get your resilience from sports. You know, and you just and by the way, uh, the industry loves hiring. Uh, men and women that were team athletes as actors, and they love hiring um, uh, dancers as well. And the reason is, is because they know they're good, we're going to show up on time every day, we're going to work 110% every day, and we're not going to let them down. And they know we know how to operate within a team.
1: Hell yeah! yeah so they love hiring us. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Did you know, Season 2 of the Start Anywhere podcast is already in the works. If you have an inspiring story or you know someone who does, get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you. I'm looking for stories from people who once started anywhere, then made a dream come true at different ages and stages of life. Maybe that's you, or maybe it's someone who inspires you. Either way, I want to know about it. And I'd love for you to join the Start Anywhere community. Sign up for the newsletter to keep tabs on what's happening behind the scenes. You can get my contact information in the show notes or go to my website, crystaljoygarrett.com. Now back to the episode. As we peel back the layers of the onion that is Reese Trenhill, I think the other thing that people are (laughs) going to find fascinating. Get out of my head, Crystal. (laughs) I really love your radical, I mean truly radical relationship with time management. Ah, uh, yeah. This is, listeners, this is the nugget. Just listen <laughs> to how Reese manages his time. So even how you came upon this time management strategy is fascinating. Let's talk about yeah. the uh, the library book.
0: Yeah, well, um, I've traveled the world with a backpack. And if you really pay attention, you notice most of the world is not North America, which is work first, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Japan, maybe. Uh, that would be about it. Um, but you see the rest of the world, they're relaxing and they're having a good time and they look happy all the time. And it doesn't directly correlate with if you have money or not. And, uh, th- that includes my cousins in Wales. And it's like, hang on here. Why am I working? This is early on in my real estate career. Why am I working 80 hours a week and burning out all the time? And, you know, my vacations were to, to recharge the battery, mm-hmm. right? Not to discover the world. And um, I was like, well, you know, I got to be able to do what I'm doing in a shorter period of time. I must be able to. Can do this in four days a week, twelve hours a day. Because if I do that, I got three days to do other things I want to do in life every week, and that was really attractive. And one of my clients, she says to me, "There's a book called The Four Day Work Week." I'm like, great. I went straight down to chapters, and I said to the lady there, I said. I, I need this book, the Four Day Work Week. Do you have it? And she goes on the computer terminal, typing away, and she goes, "Oh, there's no book called the Four Day Work Week, but there's a book called the Four Hour Work Week." And Crystal, I swear to God, you could probably hear my my big sort of Welsh baritone belly laugh through the whole store. Like, the, yeah, right, Four Hour Work Week. Like, you know what crack cocaine are you smoking? Yeah. And um, I bought the book, and I didn't put it down for three days, except to sleep. And um, it became my corporate Bible. It became my linchpin to everything that I do in business. So if you know a top real estate agent listeners out there, you know that they chase and try to do as many deals as possible a year. And if they do 100 deals next year, they want to do 110 deals. If they do 110 deals, they want to do 150. This endless hamster wheel, mm-hmm. right? And the way that I looked at it was how do I become – the real estate agent that makes more money per hour than anybody else in this business, right? So now you're starting to indoctrinate the time factor. How do I make more money per hour than any other real estate agent in town? That's my goal. Mm -hmm. And what I found was I went from 80 hours a week to 20 hours a week in the course of about one year. And I was making twice as much money because you're not just getting time efficient, you're getting efficient, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which means you're able to do more, you gonna be able to do more business, right? And um, there's basically three keys to that. You've got to learn how to delegate. You can't be a micromanager, right? Um, and for me, that meant hiring an assistant. That was the first thing. And then uh, it was hiring real estate agents to help me with the excess leads that were coming in and helping to process the clients and make sure they get homes, etc. cetera. Um, so that's delegation. Um, I haven't actually sold real estate directly since November 2015 because I have five of the best possible real estate agents in town to take care of all the clients mm-hmm. and the clients love them. Right. I, I've had clients like apologetically say, Hey, I, I prefer working with, with, you know, Sadie over you. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize they're paying me the biggest compliment. Right. Wow. That's exactly what I want. And so you'll also notice like my, my real estate team is not a, a cult of personality. It's not the trend team. Right. It's the Vanguard team. And a lot of people in business notice this, but I don't sit in the middle of the photos. I'm at the far right or the far left. Hmm. Because the team is about the salespeople. It's not about me. Right? And so when you do that, you're now creating a brand and you're creating a, a system. And that's the delegation part of it. Uh, but you're creating a, a system that um, that you don't have to be in uh, 24-7. And to me, it would be unfair to think that the agent should be in the system 24-7. And this is where you come into the automation of services, uh, the automation of systems, and the elimination of systems. So, for example, we don't advertise on billboards or bus stops. Well, why don't you, Reese? That's what real estate agents do. Because we actually did uh, what's called a media return on investment. We tracked where we were getting our business from. We weren't getting it from billboards or bus stops, right? That's elimination. Okay right? And now I've got more money to put it into advertising. It actually does work, which brings in more sales, which brings in more business, even though we're working the same amount of time. This is what automation, elimination and delegation does. You know, you've got to constantly free up your time like that. And, And quite frankly, elimination, like for example, emails, I have all kinds of filters that, you know, I won't even see the emails. Like they'll go to people that can handle those particular things. You know, I wipe out, you know, tons. I unsubscribe to everything. And so email doesn't control my day, right? It's a low-priority thing that I might or might not get to today. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And you don't answer voicemails either, which which is nope. surprising for a real estate agent or, or someone in the real estate world.
0: Yeah. Well, so it's kind of funny because another top developer in town who's also a real estate agent, uh, he just passed away too. One of the Valente family, if you remember the Valentes mm-hmm. when you lived in Windsor. Mm-hmm. Really good guy. It was a real shame. He had underlying heart issues, and, mm. and he gave out one day uh, last year. But um, he called me up, and he goes, oh, why are you uh, not answering your voicemails? I go, Mike, if you need me, just text me. I'm not going to check them. I don't have time. He goes, you can get away with that? I said, yeah, just put on your voicemail. What did I put on my voicemail? He goes, I might just have to try that. And sure enough, I called him one day. Hey, you've reached Mike Valente. Please be advised. I don't check voicemails. (laughs) 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 I just start laughing. I was like, a boy, Mike." And I find that I'm more productive uh, in the morning and in the late, uh, the mid-afternoon. I find late afternoon I lose a lot of productivity, Mm -hmm. so um, that's when I'll do emails. I'll just do as many emails as I can before it's time to go home. So, like, today I'm going home, big capital letters, 4 p.m. Okay. Right? I'm gone. I'm going home. And, um, you know, uh, that gives enough time to be with my kid for um, about four hours on a weekday before. And my wife, um, not an afterthought. She's very important to me. And uh, But it gives me time to be with the family, Right. Um, right now it kind of sucks because the, the, these are the short winter days. So I'm used to coming home from work, grabbing my kid, throwing him in this contraption I've got. So he's up on my shoulders to go for a walk, you know, and, uh, I'll go right in my, my office attire. I don't care. Yeah. Um, and, um, it's kind of, that's kind of what I do. And, uh, one evening a week, my wife and I go out date night. Uh, one night a week, I tend to go out with the guys. Yeah, that's kind of the balance of life right now on a, in a in a work week, not a travel or a vacation week.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know you you and your wife work out in the morning, and you do a big cook up on the weekend, so you can kind of just uh, um, know what you're eating for the week. And yeah. it just saves a lot of
0: time. Yeah, so part of the time efficiency is batching. So I pay all my bills as automatically as possible. They all go onto the credit card, and then my bank account automatically moves, uh, you know, X amount of dollars every month to cover most of the bill, right? Um, and then once every two weeks, I'll pay whatever bills I can't pay automatically. That's called batching. And it's the same thing when we do food prep. So we do all our food prep on Sunday while we're watching church on TV. And um, so, yeah, that's doing two things at once. But you can do it because it's, it, it, there's not a lot of cerebral activity that's going on when you're cooking. But we'll cook for the week. And we find that's twofold. Not only are you saving a ton of time, number one. Number two, you're not coming home exhausted and going, let's just order a pizza,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Which is, uh, you know, if, you're caring, if you care about your health, you can't do that three times a week, right? It adds up. And um, so we find that we eat a lot more healthy because there's always something to heat up in the fridge that's tasty and healthy because we batched it all on a Sunday. It's amazing to me, actually, the number of people that have gone, you you can cook scrambled eggs for the week. It's like, yeah, they, they don't taste off by the end of the week. No, it tastes the same. <laughs> I
1: didn't know that. I didn't know you yeah. could do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I do do two big tubs of scrambled eggs with all kinds of vegetables mixed in. And...
1: Oh, eggs. Yum. Yeah. Well, let's leave people with some advice. What would your advice be to somebody listening right now to kind of get the most out of the life that they have, wherever they are right now?
0: Time is the greatest currency. Quit chasing money. It's time, you know, and uh, um, that doesn't mean sit on your arse on the beach all day. It, it means that it you works your work. Like, think about it, Crystal. You look back at your year at the end of the year. You don't think, wow, I really nailed that project uh, for, for XYZ Corp. You know, you're like, oh, when I was in the Dominican, you know, I was surrounded by my family. That's what you remember. So, figure out how to free up your time for more of those experiences that fulfill your life. It t- it time, man. That, you know, I'm at an age now where there's guys around me that are starting to have huge regrets that they haven't done what they wanted to do in life. They haven't gone to places. The, you know. I I went and visited an old teammate of ours, Ryan Leaf, up in the Yukon. And Ryan was at the time the MP for the for the Yukon uh, in Stephen Harper's government. And he invited me up. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to impose, Leaf. I haven't seen you for 16 years. No, no, you got to come up. You got to come up. And I thought about it. I was like, I bet you he gets next to nobody up there, right? I said, Okay, Leaf, if you're sure you want me up there, I'm coming up. And I flew up 10 and a half hours from Windsor. Without leaving Canada. (laughs) And I had one of the greatest freaking times of my life, you know, and it was in the busiest time work wise. I I delegated the work to a couple of my teammates and I went and had the greatest time. And you think about the enduring friendship that you've now increased with with Ryan, um, you know, and he's inviting me back. Um, But we were fishing. We were fishing in Haines and Skagway, Alaska, which is part of the story because we're only supposed to be gone for the day. and ended up being three days in the same clothes fishing. <laughs> you could only imagine what we smelled like. Um, but we had this amazing time fishing, and I came back, and one of my buddies is a big, big fisherman. And uh, I started saying, yeah, you know, we were fishing for salmon, blah, blah, blah. First time I've ever gone fishing. It was great, blah, blah, blah. And his jaw starts dropping, and he goes, Reese, he goes, you know, what you did is top three on every fisherman's like list before they die, they have to fish salmon and la- I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. And of course most fishermen are going to die, you know, praying one day they can do that. And it's like free up your time and go and do it for God's sakes.
1: Yeah. I love this. Say yes, stay curious, make time for things that will bring lasting memories. I love that. Thank you for this conversation, Reese.
0: You're welcome, Crystal, anytime.
1: You can reach Reese Trenhill on Instagram or through his personal and business websites. I've put all those links in the show notes. And the show he was on with Kiefer Sutherland is called Designated Survivor. You can check that out if you have Netflix. (laughs) Next on the Start Anywhere podcast, we prove that it really is never too early or too late to start anywhere and live life to the fullest. You'll meet a man named George Reinitz who celebrates his 90th birthday this month. George is still going strong. He still has personal goals and he has a very positive outlook on life, which is remarkable considering that he narrowly escaped death when he was a teenager. George is a Holocaust survivor and was imprisoned in an Auschwitz work camp when he was 12 years old. George not only survived, but he moved to Canada as an orphan and became a national wrestling champion in the 50s. He also used his survival skills to build a multi-million dollar furniture company from nothing. And he wrote a book about his experiences called Wrestling With Life. I'm the kind of guy who uh, like to treat uh, uh, everybody nice. and uh, You know, I like success in whether it's business or anything. It was because I treat the people nice and, and I give them,
0: and I, I, I had good employees because they were happy.
1: Join us for a thought provoking conversation with George Rynas about perspective and resilience. Thanks for listening to the Start Anywhere podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, consider giving it a five-star review before you go. This makes a huge difference in helping people find the podcast more easily. And we're trying to start a movement of positivity here. Before we go, I want to give special thanks to Mike Boyd, who produces this show in the Podcast Atlantic Studios in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks again for listening. And until we meet again, remember, whether you're folding a pile of laundry or chasing a big dream, the best thing you can do is start anywhere.